All right, welcome again to another week of the encounter. I wanted to say thank you again to Reverend Derek Jacks for writing for us because I've gotten some good emails, uh, especially after yesterday's lesson. Evidently, that struck home for lots of people. Um, before we get started today, I wanted to share a little bit of a resource that Eleanor Brown has worked very, very hard on. Um, it is a worship resource page. So we'll get we'll go from the start. Org. You go to cpcmc.org, you'll come up to our home page that shows lots of information, but under leadership, or not leadership, but resources, uh, you'll see under leaders right here, it says worship resources. You can also get to this by going to cpcmc.org forward slash worship hyphen resources. But if you click on that, you'll see that you'll have Lots of different Sundays that we've gathered, uh, worship, calls to worship, liturgies, um, calls to confession, uh, invocations, these kinds of things. So let's just, for instance, say pastor appreciation right here. <clears throat> Hopefully you all appreciate your pastor and you want to uh, do maybe a worship service for that. You'll see you click on that and you have multiple calls to worships. You have... Um, invocations, calls to confessions. There's even children's sermons in some of these. Uh, so you'll have all kinds of resources you can look for uh, in these things, assurances of pardon, just, just all kinds of good stuff. And you can do that for all kinds of Sundays, for Easter, for graduation Sundays, farm workers, Father's Day, um, Palm Sunday, Stewardship, World, Communi World Community Day, World Day of Prayer, whatever it may be. But you'll see you'll have all kinds of stuff that you can look to. And that's a Real helpful resource uh, when you're trying to think and imagine about your um, your worship services coming up. So uh, with that being said, let's dive into the encounter for October the 10th. Uh, it's going to be from Exodus chapter 16. It's entitled Manna from Heaven. And our prayer for illumination today is God who is with us, guide us by your word. Help us to again receive you in the flesh. May the promised one lead us in wisdom and truth, and may we be sustained by Christ, who is the bread of life. Amen. And then our memory verse is from Exodus chapter 16, verse 4. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way, I will test them whether they follow my instruction or not. Again, that's Exodus 16, 4. Derek has... Um, suggested another uh, Bible project video. I hope you have found those good. I know on Facebook, somebody commented that they've appreciated those resources and finding those. They are good. It's a good way to open up your discussion. Um, our discussion question to start our lesson over the last five weeks, how have we seen Jesus present in the lives of God's people? Have you, how have you seen Jesus present in your life? When considering how sin has brought suffering and loss into our lives, how do you see Jesus bringing redemption to your life? Um, and then it ends by saying the Messiah has been promised since uh, Genesis 3.15. In what ways can you testify to the thread of grace that runs through the Bible and your life? As I was thinking about that, uh, preparing for this you know, podcast, um, I, I thought about how we've seen how God uses physical illustration to demonstrate spiritual realities. I see that in my own life, uh, like if I get caught up in stupidity, especially when I was younger, things didn't go well. 
like I had to deny myself something because I was not doing something right. Right. So like, and it was a reminder of God saying, Hey, go this way. All right. Or I received something I absolutely did not deserve physically money, you know, something, something physical that I could. And it was a reminder to me that God uh, blesses me spiritually as well. So the thread of grace that is running through scripture, as I was thinking about it, I thought about, you know, the sacrifice of Isaac when Abraham was told to give up Isaac. It reminded me that uh, through the scripture, you have a father giving up a son. Of course, that is a type of what happens in the New Testament. Or uh, when Abraham, a living person, is on an altar, when Paul writes, be living sacrifices. What I mean, like there's that's an intense picture. Or when Jesus Christ says, pick up your cross and follow me. Uh, these are all things in which uh, there's this thread of grace. A physical understanding turns into a spiritual understanding. In the Exodus uh, for this week, of course, the background of this week's uh, lesson is when Moses breaks the chains of the Egyptians and brings the people out. And we then, as Christian people, are the chains of sin are broken and we can be led into the promised land or find our promise in Jesus Christ. Um, the holiness codes that'll come up in Leviticus, like they don't make a lot of sense for us today, but they were physically acting out the holiness of God. And then you remember from first Peter, you know, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people belonging to God brought you out of this darkness and into his light. Um, there's different prophecies in scripture. Like, you know, when Isaiah says, look at this virgin, she'll be with child. Right. That had a meaning back then. It has a meaning for us today. Uh, think about the miracles of Jesus. When Jesus gets to Martha and Mary's house after Lazarus has died, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And so you see Lazarus um, coming out from the grave physically, but it's also a spiritual understanding. And so this thread of grace runs all the way through. You see it, I guess, in, in our text today, specifically when manna comes down um, and the Hebrews gather up for daily bread. Uh, in John 6, Jesus says, I am the manna from heaven, right? Feed on me every day. I provide, I provide that. So this is a narrative story, right? In which the biblical writers are connecting everything to Jesus Christ in scripture. And then I think we can do the same thing in our own lives. Um, and then I think this lesson also helps us to think about the future. So we look at the past. God is faithful. We're sometimes not. And then how do we grow? And I think that's what the process of the wilderness wandering was like people had to learn to trust and it's not easy. Right. I don't think anything in Exodus 12 through whatever is easy and people have to learn what it means to trust in God. And we do too. It's easy for us to look back and say, Oh, these stupid Hebrews, they were slaves. And now all of a sudden they're like, ah, we don't want to be here. They're like what? But we're that stupid too. You and I are at least that bad. Uh, because in our lives, we see a grace of God, we experience a grace of God, but then we get comfortable and want to go backwards. But God's pushing us forward and he gives us these little incidents and signs or whatnot that push us forward. Uh, so we're not unique. There's been a whole generations and generations of people who have struggled with. Uh, with, uh, you know, life and sanctification and growth and grace and these kinds of things. All right, so that leads us to exploring the scripture section. Obviously, so we're reading about the story of manna coming down from heaven. The background of this is Moses has been called, goes to Pharaoh, says, let my people go. There's a struggle involved. You have the Passover, and then you have the people coming out of Egypt, uh, working their way to the promised land. But of course, nothing goes as planned. 
So um, I want to highlight, like, it had to be bad because for 400 years, the Hebrews are saying, please help us through this. And then Moses, you know, in his youth, sees an Egyptian striking a Hebrew, and his response was to kill the Egyptian taskmaster. Now, that signifies that things were bad. Like, it had to be bad for all these things to happen. And so then God brings the Hebrews out, but then halfway through, you know, it, during their journey, they're like, um, would have been better to be in Egypt than to die on here in hunger. And so anyway, nostalgia kicked in, which is kind of what happens to us. I wanted to uh, read something that I found from Walter Brueggemann. Um, he says, he talks about nostalgia and how it hurts our spiritual development for the future. Anyway, he says, amnesia is forgetting too much. Nostalgia is remembering too much. And then he goes on to say, uh, not to remember is important work among desperate people who remember too much. Too long and too well, the risk of missing God's newness that God is about to perform. So again, uh, not to remember is an important work among desperate people who remember too much, too long and too well at the risk of missing God's newness that God is about to perform. And I think he's right on that. Uh, he was writing that for a conference on something else, but um, I think that is a, uh, that's a true statement and it happens in the church a lot. I know the church I was at was always like, Oh, back then all the kids were great and they never acted up in worship service. And, and we had a full house and we had lots of money and all these things. And then I would talk to people, you know, who would come visit from years ago and they would say things like, yeah, when we were kids, we went down to the boiler room and we were smoking until we got caught. And then we ran out. And, and I thought, you know, people just remember good things that never existed. It was a past that never existed. And the problem with that is, is that you try to hold on to the past and recreate the past. But then you forget that, behold, God does a new thing. Do you not perceive it? You don't perceive it because you're living in the past. And so that hurts. Um, that kind of hurts our, our growth. Um, and then, again, we have this uh, thought of sanctification. Uh, so, like, in our last lesson, we talked about Moses and the burning bush. And when Moses first started, he was obviously uh, very timid, very, you know, excuse-laden. And, and he wasn't really sure about his ministry. As he goes through this wonder, wilder, wilderness wandering, desert wandering, he grows. And you can see his relationship with God. You can see his faith growing and all these things. And then you can, you know, compare that to the Israelites who they started off by crying out to God, having great faith, and then experiencing these things. But then going backwards, holding on to nostalgia and not seeing a new thing that God is doing. Um, but I think that, again, I just want to say that this is just difficult. This is just a hard thing. Like growth and grace is not easy. In fact, I think that's why we have the wilderness wandering. Like you see the struggles of the, of the Hebrews. You see the struggles that they go through with faith or being scared or doing things right or following the rules, whatever it may be. It's hard work. And maybe it takes a desert to get all that out of your life. Uh, the discussion question is, as you look back on your faith journey, how has God prepared you to be his servant? What experiences have shaped you? What lessons have you been taught that you apply today in service to God? Um, at the time, I thought it was terrible, but my work in the restaurant, being a general manager in the restaurant, that has given me all kinds of lessons to be in ministry today or to 
learn to just grit and take it and, and follow through with things, even when it's hard or learning how to deal with people, these kinds of things. But um, I won't talk too long about that, but it is a good discussion question. Even the bad things have taught you something and the good things teach you something as well. Like when I was working 40 hours a week, going to seminary or college, I didn't have any money. People would bless me. And, and I remember that. And I've tried to be a blessing then to other people because that's part of the growth and grace that we seek. So then we go to the digging deeper section. Um, okay, so you have to have nourishment, right? So the background of this is people are hungry. They want something to eat. And, and you can get frustrated because you're like, ah, oh, see what God has done. But if you're hungry, it's hard to see. <laughs> like, it really, really is. You need physical and spiritual nourishment. And those aren't mutually exclusive. Uh, we simply must have nourishment to live. Um, so in on page 35, second paragraph, under digging deeper, it says, this lesson scripture delivers a life-giving assurance that God will be our provider as he leads us to the land of promise. God not only provides for Israel's physical needs, but he also is equipping them spiritually. And that's important, man. Like, um, one of my favorite Bible verses is Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 18. And the context is don't be overly righteous, don't be overly wicked. Why, you know, why destroy yourself? But then it says you can grasp the one thing without letting go of the other. And that's been just a super good verse in my life to say, you know, we don't have to focus exclusively on either the physicality or the spirituality. And I think that's a ditch we run into. Sometimes ministries push themselves to just focus on the physical needs or they push themselves to focus only on the spiritual needs. And you need both. Like it's, um, it's, it's what we need. It's part of trusting. It's part of, um, you know, the ministry that we're called to. We sustain people and human flourishing on this world, in this world, in this life. But then we also point them to the true reality that's found in Jesus Christ and their spiritual lives as well. Um, and I've said that this is hard. Like when we talk about daily bread, uh, our culture has no idea about daily bread. Even even most of the people who are are below the poverty line, you know, get their daily bread. Uh, and you can see in our culture, it's completely backwards. We don't die because we're hungry. We die because we have access to too many carbs, like right diabetes, heart attacks, obesity. These are our um, these are our spiritual temptations. It's not just daily bread. It's the it's the discipline of not engorging ourselves on 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 the world. So when you're preaching or teaching, you might think about that. Like we we live in a backwards culture to where, like in the Lord's Prayer, we ask for daily bread. Now, like Literally, we have to ask for the willpower or the spiritual um, steel to keep from making ourselves unhealthy because of how much we eat. And that's pretty uh, that's pretty hard. Uh, but then the next thing is um, that I would bring up, you could bring up in this passage is what are we consuming then? Right. So John six uses this as a background passage where Christ says, you know, I am the manna from heaven or I am the true bread from heaven. Um, and the crowds, they were conflicted, obviously. We have the world in which we can gorge ourselves and we can have our daily bread plus whatever else. But then we can also have Jesus, too. And so the question then comes down to what are you consuming? Like, 
if you're if you're enjoying too much of the world, then are you consuming Christ, right? Uh, or you know, are you not allowing others to have their daily bread? You're all concerned about your spirituality, and your brother and sister need daily bread. Like, what are you, what are you doing here? So, question would be, what are you consuming? How are you consuming it? All that good stuff. And then the other thing I think we get into this is that uh, so when God brought you know rained down this manna from heaven, He said, "Look, just take what you need." The rest is going to spoil. I'm providing for you. Anything above that is is going to be wasted. Um, I think if you wanted to make this a spiritual connection where Christ says, I am the bread of heaven um, and you're an old time Protestant, uh, then you might say that your works spoil. Like Christ is what we need. He is our sustenance and Christ is our salvation. Christ is our promised land. He's our promised one. Anything we try to add to that, like Jesus Christ plus anything, it spoils. It's not a good work. Like we live by faith, not by our physical ability. We don't earn our favor with God. It's given to us from heaven. We feast on Christ and, and he is our, our need. He is everything we need. And so uh, anything we try to add to that will spoil. And then finally in this section, um, this story, we, we read about grumbling and that's terrible. If you've ever done pastoral counseling, you know, a marriage is in danger when eyes roll or people grumble. You know, a spouse might say something and somebody says, I'm a big bro. So I'm like, oh. Danger, danger, Will Robinson. When you start grumbling, it means that you're becoming cynical and that uh, you don't want to look forward. Of course, First Peter says, serve one another without grumbling. Uh, in chapter four, uh, once we start grumbling, it means we don't care. You know, so be careful there. All right, so that goes from our learning from the scripture section. I really did like this. This is something that you might be able to put, put the car in part and talk about this a little bit um, with your church. Uh, Reverend Derek brings up a document from the early church called the Didache. And when it comes to the um, section on the Eucharist, it says this. Once, you know, the bread and the cup are gathered, uh, the Didache prescribes this. We give thanks to thee, our Father, for the life and knowledge that, excuse me, <clears throat> we give thanks to thee, O Father, for the life and knowledge thou hast made known to us through thy servant Jesus. Glory be to thee, world without end. As this broken bread, once dispersed over the hills, was brought together and became one loaf, so may thy church be brought together from the ends of the earth into thy kingdom. Um, I think that's a beautiful, some beautiful imagery that we can talk about from the church, especially in a time of such divisiveness. Like in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, um, Paul talks about sharing of the common loaf, like it's broken apart. Um, it's one loaf and then we're brought together at God's table. Right. So I'm going to go ahead and read again on page 37 what uh, Derek wrote. This is what we see in the book of Acts in the epistles of the New Testament. God acts in the person of Jesus Christ to provide fulfillment of all his words. Then the transformed people of God, renewed and strengthened by him, faithfully respond by going out and gathering all the broken people under the gospel's promise of reconciliation and healing. I think that's so very important. Like this is ultimately what the bread of heaven does. It sustains people and it calls people to God's presence and into community and to become one body overcoming the divisiveness of the world.
pray, Cumberland Presbyterians, that we can overcome divisiveness, that we can, at the very least, show our common grace that we find in Jesus Christ. And the discussion question there, I think that's a good question. Um, just ask about a memorable time when your class partook of the Lord's Supper, and why was it so meaningful? Um, and when you take the Lord's Supper, what are you giving thanks for, right? The Eucharist is the great thanksgiving is what it means. Um, what are you thankful for when you when you take that? And remember, it doesn't have to be just spiritual. That's Christ came to feed us physically and spiritually. God provides for us spiritually and physically. Um, all right. And then uh, on to the discussion questions, applying the scripture discussion questions, I should say. Um, grumbling. Well, I'll just read this. There starts that section. Life brings with it many challenges. Much of the past two years have been a brutal reminder of how harsh reality can be. Instead of living in hopelessness, despair, and frustration, God, God calls upon us to live in faith. It isn't easy to do, but each of us must remember God's command. So there's five discussion questions here. Um, first one, identify an area in your life where constant grumbling seems to be most present. How did you get to that place? How has God provided bread from heaven for you? Uh, children can do it for me. Uh, Hadn't been lately, but children can make me grumble. Maybe not constantly, but um, anyway, it's a good question. Uh, number two, what miracle has God wrought in your life that continues to nourish you to this day? I've said before, my family, for sure, that's a miracle. Number three, what was the most difficult? What was most difficult for you to learn? Why did God choose that lesson? How has it impacted others? Um, I've had to be knocked down a couple times on the pride ladder and uh that's forced me to forgive people maybe a little bit easier now than i did before number four just as the disciples were called to gather up the leftover fragments of bread and fish that nothing shall be lost quote unquote how are we called to do the same around us i mean god healed us he picked us up made us all and so now we have the ministry of reconciliation, as Paul says, that we bring God to broken people and broken people to Christ. And, and then we're, we're put in this family, which we learn to love. Number five, what is God calling your church to do as his disciples? In what ways can you gather together the people in your community into the house of God? How can you use the blessings you have received to bless others? If you are not living to bless others, what is holding you back? Um, you know, pride. I like to have nice things. And sometimes I don't give of what I have to others. And sometimes I have to repent of that. And, and then I go back and try to reconcile that. All right. Um, I'm going to end today by playing a portion of our video from the interview I did with Derek about uh, his lesson here. So screen two, share, optimize for video clip, share. All right, let's play a little bit more. But you said some things also that I think leads to uh, just next lesson, lesson six, when we talk about the manna from heaven. Um, if I remember correctly, I was trying to look up. I might be wrong, but I, I don't think so. I think manna basically it was a Hebrew phrase for what, you know, what's this or what's happening? Like what? And when a lot of times i like what you said that when you experience something from god or you hear these voices you don't know what's next it's just it it's shaking i mean you you got to figure out what has just happened to me and what does it mean and so 
And then you said that God provides, right? And I think that's the story of manna, of the manna from heaven. Um, also, when I was reading through your story, there in your lesson, there's a sense of how nostalgia can take hold and, and kill your spirit, right? Like the reason they're crying out for manna is because they thought it was so great to be slaves. <laughs> Yeah. And you're like, what? What are you talking about? But nostalgia takes a hold in the church, and so anyway, um, I'll let you talk about that lesson there. What What were you were uh, aiming for there? I'll, I'll just in Ecclesiastes seven. I think it's Ecclesiastes seven. It's a verse that says, um, "Do not ask why the former days were better than these. It's not from wisdom that you ask this." Yep. 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 Um, that could be a sermon every Sunday for the rest of my life. And it should be a sermon every day for the rest of all of our lives. Because one of the things uh, that, that we do, and one of the things that has been, we all know, is when people talk about the good old days in the church, right? You, you know, everybody has their good old days where I wish we could go back to that. I wish we could be there. Um, and we're putting ourselves right there with, with those Israelites who had just been ransomed. They, they, were, they had just been redeemed by God. The, one of the, you know, the great miracle, 400 years in slavery. They were mistreated. God brings them out and not only brings them out, brings them out majestically. You know, you had, you had miracles performed. You had a sea be split and they passed through on dry ground. Um, and as soon as they get done with that, they, they start complaining, wanting to go back to the good old days. Going back to when they weren't free and you know that's where that, that ecclesia that's where solomon is like guys you know I, yeah we can think back on what god has done and where we were when we were most comfortable but that's not where we're called to live you know we're called to be in the presence of god which is as we were talking about a moment ago about blessing that is the blessing. Being in the presence of God, you know, is the blessing. And how many times do we miss out on God's blessing because we want something other than God's presence? And I think as we, as, as we live as a church, and I say this, you know, kind of you know, as a pastor, how many times... Do we look at other pastors and say, boy, I wish I could be like that guy? Yeah. Or if a church to say, I wish we were, it was the way it was back 30 years ago and yeah. we had this or that. We're missing out. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to mention Bonhoeffer here, Chris. Because, <laughs> uh, I can't get through one of these without talking about it. But, you know, Bonhoeffer will say, like in Life Together, you know, the problem that takes place in church are these wish dreams that we have. Um, and the wish dreams of that we want to be in a different church or we want to, to have a certain community, these people that will be this certain way. And we'll ask the question, 
why can't they be more like that? And what Bonhoeffer is going to say in Life Together is that's, that's an enemy uh, in the church because what you're missing is what God has placed you in right there. Um, and and he, he gets very stern with pastors and leaders when they, when they say things like, why has God given me these people, right? And Bonhoeffer will say, well, congratulations, preacher. Because you asked that question, you've now become an accuser of the brethren. And guess who else is an accuser of the brethren, right? You know, this, this, this evil presence, Satan, you know, and you don't want to be with that guy. Um, so as, as I sit and think about um, that, that passage, that story, that ex episode in their life, and I think about our lives, we can get caught up in wanting things to be perfect or different and miss out on that blessing and on that presence that God has for us. Um, and and it, sometimes it's not all that great. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not advocating here. For, I don't know if you've seen the, the meme of, the, there's a meme of Jesus and a little girl and the little girl has a, a small teddy bear. Hadn't seen it now. And Jesus is like saying, give me the teddy bear. And she's like, but I love it. But behind his back, he's got a giant teddy bear. Yeah. And the meme is saying, you know, don't hold on to what you've got for what, for what Jesus could have in store for you. I'm not saying that Jesus has a bigger teddy bear for us. What I'm saying is that Jesus is the gift. Jesus is the presence. And where do we find that gift and that blessing? Well, Sometimes it's going to be in these, these uh, churches and in these congregations and these Bible study groups that we're just like, man, I wish I was at a different place. Right. And, and you know what? That's the act of faith, too, like yeah. is, is saying, OK, I'm here. We're going to do this. I mean, that's an act of faith is that you're there for a purpose. Absolutely. All right, my friends, um, preach well, teach well. Um, display grace this week. There's there's a power of grace even in our humble offerings and teachings. And um, I love to hear how things are going. Send me some emails, cflinning at cumberland.org. Get a hold of me. Let me know uh, how things are going in the Sunday school class and the church. And I know that I'll be praying for you. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. <laughs>